Amen. Amen. Well, just um, a couple of notes on those. You know, I was thinking as he was sharing about the Friends for Thanksgiving, and it was years ago, Ashley and I, for the very first time, had invited an actual student into our home. We were newlyweds. I think we were one year into marriage, living in Waco, Texas. And um, anyways, we had invited this guy over. I used to play soccer uh, kind of on Sunday afternoons just with a bunch of, a bunch of folks. And usually when you have a pickup soccer game on Sunday afternoons, the usually internationals play because uh, all the Americans are watching NFL football. But, um, and so we, we, we met this guy named, named Reza, and he's Iranian. And he came over to our house for Thanksgiving and it was so fun because he was telling us he'd been in the States for three years, has never been invited to American's home in three years, didn't know anything about Thanksgiving because that's, that's like an American thing. Um, and he was so blessed by it. So we're like eating food and talking and just sharing stories. We played games and it was such a beautiful experience. We got to connect with him a few more times after that. But I just want to say, if you are in town, man, sign up for that. Like it will only bless you as you bless them. And that's just the way the exchange works. And then just something else in the baptisms. Again, you know, years ago, if you're with us at the Hilton Hotel, that's years ago when we first started the church, we had this guy uh, named Avery who wanted to get baptized. And we were like, I don't know how we're going to do that. The Hilton is like, hey, you can't like bring a tub of water inside the building. You know, we got flood issues. What can we do? And they're like, well, they have a pool and a hot tub outside. So one Sunday in the fall, it was around November, so it started getting chilly. So we as a church ended our service, you know, 100 people, said, all right, guys, we're heading down the hallway to the hot tub, and we're going to baptize Avery, okay? And so we, like, all marched down to the hot tub. All, I think it was like a home game weekend, so all these people are like, what is up with these weird people? So we go outside, and I, like, hop in the hot tub, and Avery's in there. It felt great, by the way. And, and everyone's circled around, and people are, the Hilton, the way it was, the pulling hot tub's in the middle of the deal, so everyone can see from their rooms. So people are, like, looking out the window and stuff, and it was so amazing. He just shared, we didn't, we didn't have a plan. We are like, Avery, just tell him I'm going to get baptized. He just, if you know Avery, he goes on for five minutes, and so he shares this story. It was powerful, and I say that to say this, um, that young man's life, who had gotten turned around for Jesus, after years and years of being faithful in this church, he now serves with Antioch overseas in East Asia. Right now, has just learned a foreign language, him and his wife, Kelsey, and are ministering to Buddhists all over that nation. But you know, that guy came in very squirrely, very insecure, had a lot of addictions and problems, and he got free. And then that day, we, when we buried that stuff in the, in the hot tub, it stayed in the hot tub. Okay, it did not come out of the hot tub. Okay. And so he's walking in freedom. So here's my admonition to you. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, but you have not made a decision to be water baptized, I urge you to sign up and be here November 22nd. And again, when I say your decision, two years old is not your decision. It needs to be your decision because you are going to decide to follow Jesus or not, not your parents. So I would encourage you to consider getting water baptized. If you did it at like seven years old, and you were like, I don't know, it just sounds cool to jump in the water, and you want to make that decision affirmative as an adult, you can do that again. There's nothing wrong with getting baptized again when it's your decision. Does it make any sense? So if you're here, if you're going to go home, you're going to be home for like eight, nine weeks, college students. Trust me, a few more days here might do you some good. So stay here November 22nd, Thanksgiving's still five days away, and then go home. Sound good? You do not want to miss this because 
It's not a hot tub. It's better. It's a horse trough, and it's right here, okay? It's going to be great. All right, here we go. Switching gears. Election day is 48 hours away, right? Um, as of this weekend, I believe the stats I saw is 85 million Americans have already voted. There's 240 million people that are eligible to vote. Means you're 18 and up and you're a citizen, okay? So 240 million people are eligible to vote in our nation, which means one-third of all votes have already been cast as of this weekend. Very interesting. Our country's form of government is a democracy. The term democracy, you may or may not know, comes from two Greek words, demos, which means the people, and kratia, power or authority. So democracy is a form of government that gives power to the people. In our nation, the American founders put into motion a representative democracy where representatives are chosen by the people to make decisions for them. If you actually go back to the Greeks, they're the ones that created the, they, they created the idea of the democracy, but in their day, they actually circled up in like neighborhoods and in villages, and they would all come together consensus on a decision. So actually, they all represented the whole, like literally all contributing. She'd have a council of 70 people, 30 people, 200 people talking. That would be a little interesting. That's what the Greeks love to argue, right? Um, and so they would sit there, then they would make decisions based on the whole. There was no elected officials in the early days, right? So our former government came from that idea, but because we were into the millions and millions of people at that point in time, there is no way our nation is going to be able to actually have every single person have a say in every single thing and then hear everyone's arguments and, and ideas about it and then come to a decision, right? So that's why this idea of a representative democracy came about. Sadly, when the first elections were held, um, only white male citizens over the age of 21 were allowed to vote. So it actually was not a representative government, it was representing just a percentage of people. And honestly, that's an injustice that has been corrected over time. Um, if you don't know, it's been uh, for the last 52 years in presidential elections, every American citizen over the age of 18, man and woman, no matter what your skin color is, your race, has been eligible to vote. For only 52 years, though, right? I think it was 1920s, women, women got the right to vote. And it wasn't until 1965 of the Voting Rights Act that started doing away with a lot of, a, a lot of um, um, local laws that were keeping minorities away from voting, right? So really in our nation, for the last 50 years, people have been allowed to vote, which is where I would say we are closer to that idea of representative democracy. That is why we have the opportunity to vote. Either you've already cast your vote, did the early voting thing, or you're going to be voting on Tuesday. That's why it matters. Because you live in a nation that gives you the opportunity to vote. Now, I know there's the Electoral College, and there's all sorts of questions about that, and I can't deal with that today. All that I know is that what I've been given is an opportunity to vote. And so if I do not vote, whichever way I vote or choose to do so, then I'm removing myself from a process that our founders and others, men and women across our country, died for. Like they actually paid a price to remove the monarchy of Great Britain and to become our own form of government with our own issues, by the way. Didn't all go away when we got rid of King George. We had our whole set of issues, right? You just do away with one thing and then everything's peachy, okay? 
So we have our own problems in our country. But as Christians, we are called to be part of solutions, not just to call out the problems. Right? I would say to someone, hey, if you're discerning of spirits, then why don't you be discerning of solutions also? Right? We have a tendency to just do this and that. And, well, he didn't do that. And this didn't. And it's like, okay, well, keep pointing your finger. You'll be pointing your finger until you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, start saying, hey, how can we be part of the solution? And I think many of you are, and that is your heart's desire, which is why I love being part of this church. Amen. Because you are solutions-oriented people. When you see an issue in society, when you see a problem in family, when you see bitterness with, with your parents, or when you see uh, disunity in your roommates, you guys are willing to stand the gap and do something about it. Because you're followers of Jesus First and foremost, right? But here we go. We have an opportunity as a nation at a very critical time. Which it feels like people say that every four years. You know what I'm saying? Uh, come on, be honest. Like, this is the most critical election ever. It's like, no, that's been said. That was said in 2000. Okay, like when we thought Y2K was happening, if it went around, that's when all the computers were like going to go to zero or something and everything crashed and meltdown. Look it up. Y2K it was this big hysteria. Nothing happened. We all woke up the next day. The sun rose. We all had a cup of coffee and we we're fine. Okay, so I'm going to tell you in the front end, Wednesday morning, the sun's going to rise. It will. And it'll, it'll rain sometime the next week or two. It's going to be snow. It's going to be summer and a spring. Uh, seriously, like it's going to be fine. Things will change no matter which way the election goes on a local, state, or federal level. But it's going to be fine. Okay? Because, listen, um, you know, there... there and, and, and I just want to say this. There's a lot of issues that people hold near and dear. And no matter what the issue you hold near and dear, like, that's, that's fine. Like, you should be willing to go and to vote based off of your conscience, your conviction levels, and who you believe will best represent you. Because it's a representative government. So you're voting for someone that you think would represent you. Now, I know we'd all like to vote for Jesus. But he's not running. Okay? He's not running for office. He never has and he never will. What we want is him. But he said, no, no, I'm a king a different way. I come and serve, not to be served. So King Jesus doesn't need to be elected. He's already appointed, anointed, and called. He's it. He's already sitting on his throne. So there's no one removing him from his throne, to be clear. Okay? So don't be nervous for Jesus. He's fine. He's very powerful and very secure. <laughs> but some of us get a little insecure, right? So let's just, let's just highlight some of, the, some of the current issues, right? So uh, Gallup did some polling recently, and we're trying to figure out, okay, what's going to sway people's decisions in the election, and what are the most important issues to them, all right? I'm going to run down for you the top five. Number one, the economy. Number two, national security. Number three, the coronavirus response. Number four, Healthcare, number five, education. Now, some of you may be thinking, man, those are my top five. Or some of you are like, well, two of those, but the other ones I don't really care about, you know? And that's okay. That's why we're an eclectic group of Americans, okay? But there's other issues at play as well, which may mean more to you than another one. Like race relations, gun policy, crime, abortion, immigration, climate change, foreign affairs, taxes. There's a lot of issues. Those are the top 13, by the way, if you want to know. And so for each of us in the room, though, there's different things that matter to us when we go to vote, and that's okay. 
and that's okay. What, what, what I do want to encourage you to do, though, is to vote, and to vote with conviction and conscience. And so if you've never voted before, man, what an opportunity, right? Like, I, literally, I was two weeks away from getting to vote in the, um, <clears throat> in the, in the 2000 election, okay? I was 18 years old. Uh, I'm, I was 17, about to turn 18. I couldn't vote yet. And um, it was a race between Al Gore and George Bush. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. And on election night, it was crazy because it was super-duper close. Okay, it's always really close elections, right? So Bill Clinton had been president for eight years, and so you had this super-tight race election, and it all came down to the electoral votes in Florida. There was undecided. You may have heard this phrase, the hanging chad, right? So we didn't have all the digital voting. You had to, like, punch holes, kind of like the Scantron thing, you know? So you have the old school. So then people are like, well, do they punch a hole for this guy or this guy? You know, so imagine going through thousands and millions of ballots like that, right? So on election night, it was kind of mass hysteria. Everyone trying to think who won. It ended up, the, uh, the, the decision for president ended up going into the Supreme Court and a month-long series of legal battles led to a five-to-four Supreme Court decision in Bush versus Gore, which ended the recount of the vote. The recount having been ended, Bush won Florida by 537 votes. So before the coronavirus, we had about 600 people in this room during a service on a Sunday. So imagine this room being the deciding factor for the president for 300 million people. Crazy, huh? He won by a margin of 0.009%. In the country. Isn't that crazy? So it was a close election. And no matter which side you're on, people are like, this guy is falling. No. I know it's not. Like, we all went back to our lives. We played sports. We ate food. It's fine. Okay. So why do I say all that, guys? Because I know this year has been really intense. And I know most of us have cried or stared at the wall with a furrowed brow more than we've laughed. Okay. <laughs> Like, I know many of us have felt like, like we're not we're going to rehash. We're going to rehash 2020, okay? Okay, we're, we're going to move on, okay? 2020 has been difficult. It's been challenging. I don't have to tell you that. We don't need to reiterate that. It's like, that's already there. If you don't know that, I don't know where you've been. <laughs> not here. Not, you've been on Mars or something, doing something else, okay? But you've not been here. It's been challenging. But listen, only God knows what's about to happen. Only God knows about to happen. We can predict, we can pull, we can assume what will take place in two days or in a few weeks or a month, which means we as Americans live in a time of uncertainty, and that uncertainty makes people think and say and do things they may not normally do in normal circumstances, which means I first want to say we need to extend grace to each other. I have acted in ways that I'm like, where did that come from? You know, I mean, you've probably had moments in your marriage and your friendships in school, you know, you're just doing life. You're like, if I could have videoed myself, that'd be a little embarrassing. We've had those embarrassing like selfie moments, you know what I'm saying? And so, but, but I think that a lot of it is at play and many things swirling and going on, right? Like usually when we are, when, when the pressure's on, things squeeze out, of, squeeze out of us that we otherwise suppressed, right? Or, or that we didn't want people to know about or that we wouldn't have to think about. 
Like those depressed thoughts, feelings, hurts, pains. Oh, man. Guys, can I tell you, um, in my 11 years of being a senior pastor and being in ministry, I have never had a year where people have been more hateful and hurtful and bitter and blowing up on me than this year. Um, I could go down the list and tell you every single senior pastor I've talked to in this town, other churches, in the Enoch movement would say the same thing. Some guy's been in, the, been in 30 years. So there's a lot of factors. You could go down list the issues out. Um, it doesn't mean that senior pastors aren't places to correct and be wrong. And take, I've taken a fair share of, uh, 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 how do I say it? Yeah, correction, uh, advice, maybe. I'll put it nicely. Um, and, um, but, but, but you know what? Like, yeah, did, have, and you've felt that probably too at times. You know, there's, there's relationships and, and different things that happen. You're like, wow, what? I thought we were good. Like February, we were good, right? Like February, we were good. What squeezed out of you in July? Oh my gosh, you know? It's like, I'm dating who? It's like, you know, I mean, that's real. We've gotten squeezed and it's like, oh, okay. But what's good is when that squeezing comes, then you get to do something with it. So when you are under pressure, when you're feeling things, the uncertainty, you got a choice, which is just try to stuff it and put it on another shelf or actually deal with it. So my encouragement to you is anything that's been squeezed out this year, if you've just stuffed it again, don't do that. It will come back. It'll come back nastier and bigger. If it's been squeezed out, then look at it as the grace of God that he squeezed something out through our circumstances. You get to deal with it. Does it make sense? And then you get free. And then it's, oh, I don't have to live with that 15 years of bitterness or that five years of pain in the church or what some youth guy did to me or what some girlfriend did or what some parent said or what some boss didn't do. You get to deal with it, guys. Deal with the pain now. Don't let it carry over. And for everyone who's younger in the room or you don't have kids yet, you do not want to take that into your parenting. Because I know you don't know this yet, but whatever you don't deal with right now, your kids are going to be recipients of that. You can pretend all you want. It is called sowing and reaping. If you do not deal with those things now, then you will pass it on to them unbeknownst to you. You'll look up one day and say, what is wrong with you? And then they'll say, oh, it's what's wrong with me. I'm trying to save you in the next generation by dealing with your own pain. Don't pass that on. So, guys, I don't know what's going to happen in the election. Um, I'm not here to predict anything. I'm not here to tell you to vote for anybody. I'm telling you to vote. Do something. Be part of the process. But with this year, with the insecurities, with, with the doubts, sometimes it leads us to fear, right? Like, uh, I, in some ways, I want to label 2020 the like, year of fear. I'm like, I, it seems like at every turn, there's something else to be fearful about. Uh, honestly, it's like, come on, can we, can we get done with the fear thing? Yeah. It's not been the year of faith, I'll tell you that right now, right? But Jesus began his earthly ministry, and when he was with his disciples, he got into a boat, and they got onto the Sea of Galilee. I want to bring you into a, into a passage maybe familiar to you to, to point a few things out. So they, they got into this boat with Jesus. They're out on this ship. I guess they're fishing or hanging out on the Sea of Galilee. So it's not the ocean, but it's a pretty big sea. And we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 8. 
Verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Now, what is a storm? What is a storm? I'm going to tell you what Webster thinks a storm is. A disturbance of the atmosphere marked by wind and usually by rain, snow, hail, sleet, or thunder and lightning. So we would all kind of give some more definition with that. But here's some other definitions that go with storms. An agitated state, a tumultuous outburst, social media, a violent assault on a defended position. Those are other definitions for storms. Agitated state. Anyone know anyone who's been agitated this year? Yes. What about a tumultuous outburst? Anyone been on the receiving end of a tumultuous outburst in 2020? Just be honest. Wow, some of you guys aren't talking to anyone. <clears throat> Obviously, you've been quarantined this whole year. A violent assault on a defendant position. It's like it's not okay to have a stance on something and to be in relation with that person as a stance opposite of you. Right? It's, it's become a war. It's either I win or you win, but both are not winning. Either you agree with me or we're done with relationship. Yeah. Do you see how painful that is? Yeah. By the way, that's not kingdom. Yeah. And that ain't Jesus, <clears throat> to be sure. Like, and that's not what it is to be Christian. That, that has nothing to do with us. It's okay to have a conviction about something. But, but to cut someone off simply because they look different, because they think different, because they have a different belief, a different history, a different past. Cut them off. Think if that was Jesus' mode of operation. Nobody would get saved. I'm perfect, says Jesus. Never done anything wrong. I have nothing to relate to you about. I don't sin, but you're sinful. Can't relate to you. Hold on a second. What did it say? He said he came for sinners. His mission was he came for the sick. He came for the sinners. He came for the people that aren't like him, which is all of us. Isn't that beautiful? So, so a storm, right? We've experienced a storm, maybe. And storms at sea are somewhat common, right? But, but, and this could not have been the first storm that these disciples had experienced on the Sea of Galilee. We know that many of them were fishermen, which means many of them had been out on the sea before fishing when a storm came. But this was maybe a little more intense than usual, right? And maybe I would say maybe this election is a little more intense than usual, to the point for these young disciples that they're saying, we are perishing. Like, we are going to die. Sometimes we kind of say those statements, but we don't really mean it. But sometimes you've thought that, and you're like, no, I really may die. Okay? So, like, so you know, Ashley and I, about a year ago, we decided to do this paragliding thing. <laughs> you know, you hook up. Now, there's like a, you know, we're hooked up to like a dude, so he's got this whole deal. And you, like, run off the side of this mountain. Literally, it's like there's a mountain, it's like a thousand foot drop, 
And you're like, he's like, let's go. And we're like, am I really doing this? Have we checked the straps? You know? And so you just go, and you just run. And you're like, you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is, this is why people pay money for this. This is incredible. He's like, woo, you know, and this guy does it like 12 times a day. You know, it's like, he's like sleeping doing it. You know, it's like no big deal. <laughs> to me, I'm freaking out, right? Because you got the expert, expert guy over here, and you got the novice who's like signed all the waivers. <laughs> you know, checking his will. Just <laughs> mom and dad. The kids are you're just, you know, it's like. But this guy's like, you know, slammed down his cup of coffee. Are right, you ready? It's just, he's ready to roll. He's the expert, right? He's confident. He's secure. He's professional. He knows how to handle something when 99% of the world's population would be freaked out and scared to death. Right? So then Jesus, on the boat, he's asleep, which is just funny. It's like, hey, there's there's a tornado going on. What? What's going on? Oh. I mean, it's like the mindset of Jesus is do not be afraid. I got this. But before he rebukes the winds and the sea and calms everything down, he looks at the disciples and he calls them out for being what? For being afraid? For having little faith. He calls out his disciples for being afraid and having little faith. We say around here, we want to become disciples of Jesus. No, not the original 12. Or don't get weird on me. Followers Jesus that are discipled by him. Like in the own it initiative, it's own your pursuit of Jesus by committing to personal discipleship. So we are inviting you as a church to commit your life to Jesus for the rest of your life by committing to be personally discipled by him, which means you submit to his way of doing things when he corrects you, when he encourages you, when he rebukes you, when he tells you what to do, you do it, period. That's a disciple, right? A friend gets to choose what they do or don't do. You're not a friend of Jesus before you're a disciple of Jesus. He said, hey, my friends are those who know me, who obey me, who know the Father. Like, that's, those are my friends, are the ones that are uh, abiding and obeying in him. So we want to be disciples of Jesus. But he rebukes his, this is his crew. This is early on. It's like, here's my big investment. I went through and got my five-star recruits, however they looked and shaped. I put them together and said, hey, you guys are going to be part of changing the world with me. And in the storm, they are freaking out. And he says, you guys are afraid, and you have little faith. Guys, from March 2020 to November 2020, the last eight months have been a lot of fear. There's been eight months of uncertainty. Eight months of waves crashing into our hearts and our lives by different means and methods. Crashing into the news, crashing into social media, crashing into relationships. There's been a lot of waves crashing in. And I think we need to acknowledge there's a storm. There's a storm that's been here that's coming and going in different ways, and it is crashing in. And it's one thing when a storm's just going to affect you on the outside. It's another thing when it comes internal. And guys, for us as believers, it, it's hit the internal places. It's had to. Whether we're talking about race, whether we're talking about politics, what people think the direction of the, comp- of the country's going to go, whether we're talking about the coronavirus and the response or non-response to it or what we should do, education, school, jobs, 
A&M. I mean, who would have ever thought A&M would ever have Kyle Field at 27,000 people and to be the largest, the largest crowd in the country this year? 27,000. I mean, you know, yeah, amen. <laughs> you know, I'm like, we're like, yes, biggest crowd this year. And it's like, what? He's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's bizarre, right? But the waves have crashed in on us. But, you know, I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7. If you don't know this verse, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So, so what happens, right? So what happens when this storm comes, when these, when these waves come? Like, where do we turn? What do we do? You see, Jesus looked at them and said, hey, you're afraid. You've got little faith. But then what does he do? He provides a solution. He rebukes the winds and the sea. And what's the result of that rebuke? Oftentimes you think of rebuking as like, oh, I have to get rebuked, right? But Jesus rebukes, and on the other side of that rebuke is what? Calm. Peace. <sighs> rebuke. I don't know how he rebuked the winds and the sea. I don't know what he said, if it was seven words or one word or three sentences. I'm not really sure what he did. But it's less about what he said and more about the authority and the mindset and the faith he had. The authority, the mindset was, you guys are freaking out. You don't need to freak out. It speaks to the wind. Right? What he wanted was for his disciples to be tested and to not freak out. But it's a haze of storm. What do we do? Hey, Jesus has taught us. Have faith. We're not going to die. But not one of them was saying that. They all were scared. But Jesus rebukes the winds. On the other side of the rebuking comes the calm. Now, there's a few other times Jesus rebuked things in the New Testament. A few verses later, literally, right after this story, in Matthew 8, 33... Jesus was teaching, he was teaching disciples about what he would have to do to endure the cross. And Peter, one of his inner circle guys, took Jesus aside and began rebuking him. Now just be careful. Someone just said, Peter, hey Pete, don't rebuke Jesus. He's never wrong. You're going to ask for it, you know. So Peter's rebuking Jesus. Jesus, what are you talking about, man? You're supposed to be the king. Like, you're not going to die. We'll, we'll protect you. Remember, this is St. Peter who slices the guard's ear off and he gets arrested in the guard. I mean, it's St. Peter. He's like, hey, it's my boy, Jesus. You do not mess with him. <laughs> but you're trying to get in his thick skull like, Peter, there's another way. It's not King Saul, King David way. It's a new way. The way I'm doing is different. So Jesus getting rebuked by Peter in one ear, and he's looking at disciples. He's like, I'm going to make an example of Peter right now. <laughs> but turning and seeing his disciples, he didn't rebuke them. He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Do you know why he called him Satan? Because he's thinking about the things of man, not the things of God. Now, if I'm honest... If Jesus was here, he might be calling out a few more of us in the body of Christ, Satan. For thinking about the things of man and not the things of God. Peter, 
This is the guy who would go plant churches and be the leader. This is like his top, one of his top guys. And he lights into him like a head football coach. Like, what are you doing? He's like, oh. Jesus rebukes Peter. For what? For having the mindset on the things that best serve man and not on God. Which means Peter lost sight of the mission in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of them doing ministry, he started thinking about what are we going to do here, my kingdom here, our earthly thing here, and he lost sight of the reality. Jesus coming to build something that's not going to stay here. Guys, for us, we have a choice to make. Are we going to set our minds on the things of this world or set them on the things of the kingdom? Which means we live and engage in the world without being caught up in the storm of the world. It, it doesn't mean we sit on the sideline to say, well, it's all going to go to pot. Good luck with that. Good thing I am saved. But guys, sadly, that's the mindset of some Christians. Hey, I'm already saved by Jesus. I don't need to mess with that stuff anymore. That is not the way. Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're going to engage. We're going to be the hands and feet. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to share the love of Christ. We're going to be those that will engage with Jesus in the midst of the storm and bring peace and calm to the others. So it's not just about the internal, the waves crashing on you guys. It's about us standing in the gap. Jesus also rebukes a demon, right? In Matthew 17, 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Okay. So why do I share that? It's like, oh, Tyler, you're going to talk about demons today? It's like, listen, they exist. They do. Um, but they're not more powerful than Jesus. D demons exist. Um, suicide rates? Do you, do you think that's God? Do you think there's a demonic force at work trying to devalue people? Make them feel lonely, oppressed, and worthless. So much so, ostracized, isolated, feel hopeless. Where they look at the storm and they say, we're all going to die. I might as well just take my own life. The tragedy of that, that's where the road ends. That is the goal of the demonic. As it take you down a path that separates you completely from God, from the people that love you and care about you, and gets you down to this place where you say, I'm on the edge out here. It's only me. Nobody cares. I'm done. Now, that's severe, but that's where that road leads. So our job is to say, no, no, no. We're going to rebuke that demon, that lie. So when a friend says, man, no one loves me, and it's like, no, that's not true. I do. When someone says, oh, there's no hope. No, there's hope. It's in a name. His name's Jesus. He provides healing. When someone says, I'm never going to find a job. No, you will. Just keep trying. When someone says, man, if the election goes this way, everything's going to be terrible. No, it'll be fine. There'll be some changes. Which way, whichever way it goes, there'll be changes. But you'll still be able to breathe and eat, see the sunrise, and follow Jesus. No election takes that away from you. They won't. You may have to change the way you do it, right? The underground church in different countries, they meet. It's a little more sneaky. You got to be more of a night owl. You still meet. No problem. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the mindset. Jesus rebuked the mindset, and his disciples 
on the boat. So my question for us is, if you're on the boat, how are you responding to the crashing waves and the lightning and the thunder and the rain and the ensuing hail that's been hitting you all year and may continue to hit you a little longer? How are you going to respond to it? God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind so that not only can you feel at peace and secure, but you can look to your friend, your neighbor, and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Let me tell you about Jesus. Or, hey, you're struggling. I'm going to step in with the authority of Christ, and we're going to rebuke that lie in your life and set you free. Can I tell you the result of all these rebukes is peace and calm? Peter got his act together, and they're like, okay, yes, sir, I'm in. He was faithful in the mission. The little boy, right, he was causing problems for people and terrorizing people, and he was being tormented himself. <laughs> Calm. It says, and peace to that person and the others around him. Like, there was peace given to that little boy. So what's all the point to this, guys? <laughs> um, God is a God of peace. How he gets there can be different ways, whether it's being rebuked, whether it's worshiping in a moment like this morning and just getting right before God, whether it's getting back in the Word and saying, hold on, like, I, I just need to, read, I need to read passages again that remind me of who God is and His love for me. Maybe it's just reading Psalm 139. Maybe it's, maybe it's reading 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe it's going back through Psalm 102, 103. Maybe it's reading just John 1. Maybe it's reading uh, you know, uh, 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 Colossians 1, just talking about the supremacy of Christ. I, I don't know where you are, but I'm telling you right now, he is the God of peace. In Hebrews 13, it says, Now may the God of peace who brought, out, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, the writer of Hebrews is talking about God being the God of peace in the sense, that, in the sense of the fact that he is the source of peace. He is the maker of peace. And he's the giver of peace. He's the source of it. He's the maker of it. He's the giver of it. That is our God. Which means apart from our God and apart from engaging with Jesus Christ, the storm will continue in rage and we will continue to be afraid. But with him, you can look at any storm, experience any waves crashing on you. It may take a toll. You may get wet. But you can stay standing and have the faith to say, I will not be afraid. I will live in faith. Can I just tell you, church, that's what our country needs right now. Our, our country doesn't need some argument. Our country doesn't need a debate. Our country needs the God of peace. So wants to stand this morning as we close. Invite the band on up. Our country needs the God of peace this morning. But, you know, there's a lot of people grasping for hope. There's a real hopelessness, you know, for some. There's people grasping for peace. And I was thinking about it this morning, saying, Lord, what is our part to play? Because if you're in this room, you've already given your life to Jesus. Or if you're streaming and watching in, you've given your heart to Christ. Then you already know, hey, there's a peace that has come into my soul that I didn't have before. 
that's dealt with the insecurities, that deals with the fears, that deals with the stuff, like there's a peace there. But we don't want that peace just to remain here, right? We want to be distributors of it. The Bible talks about 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ministers of reconciliation. You may not see yourself that way. You may not even call yourself a minister. You may think people that work at a church only ministers, but the Bible is very clear. If you're a follower of Christ and you start aligning your life with him, you're roped in the ministry. (laughs) Surprise. You're actually a ministry now. And that may be one person at a time, maybe a whole family, maybe your company. Maybe it's a people group one day. You go to a nation that's never heard. I don't know, but we're ministers. And so therefore, as a ministry, if you have the mindset of a minister, you have a mindset of an ambassador, all of a sudden now you're carrying this message of peace and hope and calm with you, which means you have to live that out. But then you get to distribute that to someone else. But if, if it's not here, guys, you can't pass it off, right? Like you have to have it here. And then you can pass it off to someone else. Because there's people in our lives that are in the storm and they're scared and we can just say hey stop being scared or we can say hold on let let me show you a way out of being scared can i show you a person who's going to help you with that fear that's our job so right now we're going to do is we're actually going to intercede just as we close we're going to pray for our nation right now that 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 believers across the nation would rise up and be ministers of reconciliation. That's what we're going to pray for. We're not, we're not going to even pray, pray for the election right now. We're, we're going to pray that the believers who say yes to King Jesus all across our country, all denominations, those that have been in hiding, those that have gone on a vacation, those that are on fire in the church, and I don't know, but that God would start calling them back one by one and say, I need you in the fight. I need you in the storm. Others have ran away, but to say, God, call back the faithful ones. To say, starving ministers. People are hurting. People are desperate. People are scared to death. And we have the, we have the solution. Jesus can help with that. So that's what we're going to do. I actually want you to turn to one person right now. You're just going to pray together. And we're just going to pray that God would put a stirring in believers across our nation right now to be ministers of reconciliation and to bring this message of hope and peace to people, okay? That's what we're praying for. So turn to somewhere now. If you don't know them, meet them really quick. Just start praying. Just start praying. Whatever God puts in your heart, start praying. We're going to pray right now that God would stir up believers across our land. Pray for it fervently. Believe for God to move in their hearts right now.
America, from the east to the west, the north and the south, those that are old in the faith, those that are new in the faith, Lord, we pray for returning right now of believers across the land to come out of hiding and to become ministers of reconciliation, not ministers for a party, not ministers for some particular cause, but for the cause of Christ. Lord, we pray that people would, would, would be awoken across the land, Lord, there would be a revival, a resurgence of the gospel going forward, that people would know there is a hope it's in a name, Jesus. There's a solution. His name is Jesus. That there is a way out of fear and pain and hurt and dread. And that is Jesus. Lord, we pray that you'd be elevated in these days. That you'd become our king. That we would ascribe to being citizens of heaven once again. And that we would follow you with our whole heart, Lord. Put in position people all across our land to speak life, to speak joy, to speak hope, God. We need hope in our land. We need hope and peace in our land, we pray, God. Call forth the pastors. Call forth the leaders in our land to rise up and make a stand for Jesus, we pray. Put the fear aside and give us faith, hope, and love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 